Good morning again. Before we begin, I wanted to kind of take a little survey of sorts. Just want to see, we've been doing the autobiography now outdoors for a few times. And I know there's a lot of ambient noise. Uh, sometimes, of course, some of them are uh, a little more melodious than the crow behind us. But there's also sometimes a lot of traffic. Just want to get a sense from those of you who've been watching us for a while, if you can put it in the comments of whether that works for you, whether the sounds in any way are distracting, or perhaps do they add a certain kind of feature of <laughs> a little, something little different from our own lives, and even that the sounds themselves perhaps create an atmosphere. Um, what we'd like it to feel like is that we're in fact outdoors at a little Gurukul, sitting at the feet of our Guru, and you know, things are going to happen around us, but once we're at his feet, that we're totally absorbed in that. So, In fact, we have a new mic that we just got here at The Secret, and hopefully you can hear us even better. But that also means you'll hear other things better too. That's true. Either way, okay. just want to know <laughs> that you're enjoying yourself in this setting, or if you aren't, we can always think of trying to make you more comfortable. Where we left off last class was, of course, the chapter Outwitting the Stars. It was in this really beautiful passage that says, The deeper the self-realization of a man, the more he influences the whole universe by his subtle spiritual vibrations, and the less he himself is affected by the phenomenal flux. I was just thinking about this line again and sometimes the term self-realization is a little um, kinda, you know it doesn't fully represent what that means because we think about ourself as getting realized but it doesn't have so much to do with the self it in fact has to do with the entire cosmos and where we get to realize all of creation and it's not that you suddenly realize you are something but you just realize that there is no you, but that there has always just been this entirety of God's consciousness. And imagine when you're in that state, it's like nothing could possibly in even the least affect you, influence you, draw you one way or the other. And so it's not so much that we're trying to figure out our own selves, because sometimes that can be a little counterproductive. It's like, ah, is the ego is just trying to figure out how great the ego is. But you have to keep realizing that this self we're talking about is all of creation and beyond. It's a state of consciousness that's too vast to even fathom. So it's helpful as a starting point to first try to fathom the little self that does exist inside us. But that's what we're working on. We're trying to become that creation, not just understand it and know it better. And that's why Sri Yukteswar, even though throughout he's talking about the influence of the planets, he's saying there's no need necessarily to be so greatly influenced. However, while we're still kind of trapped in this little identification and our little understandings, it's helpful that we cooperate with these influences and don't go against them. Yogananda writes here, I occasionally told astrologers to select my worst periods according to planetary indications and I would still accomplish whatever task I set myself. It is true that my success at such times has been accomplished by extraordinary difficulties, but my conviction has always been justified. Faith in the divine protection and the right use of man's God-given will are forces formidable beyond any the inverted bowl can mas muster. The inverted bowl, of course, here is in reference to the planets. The Earth is, ref is called the inverted bowl. And so these two things, absolute faith in God's protection, in His guidance, in His purpose, and then, of course, our free will to be brought into alignment with that guidance. You can't just sit back and say, God's going to do everything. I have complete faith. The, in, the, the real show of faith is when you are willing to put yourself, submit yourself, discipline yourself, purify yourself 
in accordance to that faith. Not just be who you are going to be anyway and just kind of hold on to whatever thoughts and preconditions that you've already created and say, now in this particular setting, God has to kind of meet my standards. That's not going to happen. I like this paragraph because I was thinking... I don't really know astrologically what are my worst periods in my life and in fact I don't want to know but I noticed that some days I'm really grumpy <laughs> and, and I can feel that I'm in a not very happy mood and what I have trained myself to do is to identify that moment and challenge myself. Every time I feel I'm not in sharing my best or my highest self, I really challenge myself and do something completely opposite that will immediately change my energy. Because I know if I keep feeding that mood, if I keep reinforcing that attitude, my day is going to be terrible. I mean, horrible and and I have seen that that the moment I give in I indulge in that mood in that negative attitude that tendency I mean my day is over I have really mm, wasted an opportunity to test what Sri Yudeshwar says here we are not in we shouldn't be influenced by those astrological or those conditions so I would say a very good practice for the aspirant yogi is find those moments throughout the day where, where you can see your energy is dropping or you are giving an answer that you know it's, just, it's coming from a mean place or it's coming to hurt someone and, and challenge yourself and say, you know, I, I don't want to allow my ego to be right now taking over this situation. I really need to come back and, and deal from that highest uh, aspect of my being. And this is something we can practice daily. We don't need an astrologer <laughs> to tell us these things. We need to start taking responsibility of our actions and become using and start using our free will because those are the moments where our free will is tested. Can I really overcome this mood by, by choosing to give a beautiful answer or by giving a smile where I don't, when I don't feel it? Or, or can I bring the energy higher in this situation when there is so much disharmony and misunderstanding? I mean, that's the real free will we have. And every time we choose to bring light into a situation, to bring a positive thought into our mind, to help someone, that is when we are aligning ourselves with God, with God's will. And this is happening every second in our life. Every time we see someone, we have only two choices, to judge that person or to find the beauty within that person. And that's something that mm, it will be good for us to keep paying more attention. The starry inscription at one's birth, I came to understand, is not that man is a puppet of his past. Its message is rather a prod to pride. The very heavens seek to arouse man's determination to be free from every limitation. Imagine that. It's like... Mm. The planets are already telling you, Bhai, this is your scene. Tu isme phasa hua hai. You know, this is it. This is who you are. And Yogananda is saying, rather than kind of submitting and resigning to the fact like, Bhai, they have already decided, you know, this is my karma. This is the moods I'm going to give into. It's like what they really want you to say is, imagine if somebody could just tell you, this is who you're going to be. Wouldn't that immediately kind of awaken in you this deep desire to say, you know what, I'm not going to be that way. I'm just, I'm not going to be defined by these realities. I'm going to break through from them. And that's what we should feel every time. And in everything, we, when we started this chapter, we said we're focusing on astrology. But you can take that to mean anything and everything. 
you know, it could mean a certain diet that you're doing. It could mean a certain outlook about how you think your body is and whether you need to be kind of, you know, eating certain ways or working out in certain ways. Everything should show you that you can go beyond this. And especially something as vast as your own karma, your own destiny, your own fate, kind of predefined, should make you feel, no way, no way can it be predefined. God created each man as a soul, dowered with individuality, hence essential to the universal structure, whether in the temporary role of pillar or parasite. You just have to take a moment with, the, with some of these sentences. God created each man as a soul, dowered with individuality, hence essential to the universal structure. I mean, that's such a powerful kind mm -hmm. of line right there. Hence, essential to the universal structure. It's like your presence makes everything else actually work. Everything that you know about the world right now is because of your presence. And that's, I mean, that's an indication of immense power right there. But the question is, which role are we going to play? Because you can play both roles. The role of the pillar, which is that I'm holding this structure together, or the role of the parasite, which means <laughs> I'm sucking from whatever is around me. That it's all about me. And that's where as that's why I wanted to start with this, you know, definition of self-realization. It's not about us. That's the kind of dichotomy of the very term self-realization. But it's about everything. It's about embracing and uniting it all in us. And so that's an important shift to create in our minds. It's not about you. It's not about all the decisions you have to make for yourself. It's about how do I get into harmony with my greater self that's already there. It's already in existence. Everything around you is your greater self. Every person around you is your kind of extended self and why won't you want to get into harmony imagine if every cell in our body decides i'm just going to do what i want to do i don't care what you know the liver wants i don't care what the lungs want i don't even care what my fellow cell in the heart right here wants i just want what i want you know it's all about my self-realization no the cells are like so much in harmony with one another that even when a foreign object or material or you know a cancer or whatever comes in it's like every every cell in your body is immediately awakened to the fact and they all shift and kind of mutate and move in a way that they work together as one and that's what makes our bodies the most marvelous kind of machinery if we can call that ever created will never be replicated no matter how much science uh, advances and that's what we have to feel for the entire universe as well including the planets will we be a pillar or will we be a parasite <laughs> his final freedom his freedom sorry is final and immediate if he so wills it it depends not on outer but inner victories and with that, we get to a somewhat of a close to the astrological aspect. But now we move on to the yugas. Now, Sri Yukteswarji will be explaining to us a little bit about what these yugas are. Because again, that's a very helpful aspect for us to keep in mind. Sri Yukteswar discovered the mathematical application of a 24,000-year equinoctial cycle, cycle to our present age. Now, when we hear the word 24,000 year cycle, we immediately think, oh, you know, what am I going to do with this 24,000 year cycle? It's so vast, it's so not going to affect me at all because I'm only going to live some 70, 80, 90, 100 years. But we'll find ourselves where we fit in this 24,000 cycle. The cycle is divided into an ascending arc, like any circle, and a descending arc each of 12,000 years. Within each arc fall four yugas or ages called Kali, Dwapar, Treta and Satya. 
corresponding to the Greek ideas of the Iron Age, Bronze, Silver and Golden Ages. So every particular civilization has always had some or the other classification of these four stages. And these stages very much correspond to also stages of our own evolutionary growth. My, gurus, my guru determined by various calculations that the last Kaliyug or Iron Age of the ascending arc. So what does that mean? Where Kaliyug is ascending into, where would it go? Dwapar. Now, before we continue on, let's just address the elephant in the room. And the elephant in the room is this deeply ingrained understanding that we are in fact in Kaliyug that um, the Kaliyug, you know, lasts for, I don't know, 4.3 million years or some, you know, vast number. So you're just stuck in it for a very, very long time. And also this understanding that from Kaliyug will suddenly come Satyug. You know, so we, we believe that the Yugas are linear. So how have we been thinking of the Yugas, if you've been thinking of it at all, is Kaliyug, Dwapar, um, you know, Treta, Satyug. Kaliyug, Dwapar, Treta, Satyug and it just keeps kind of going in this particular way. So from the lowest age comes the highest age, descending again into the lowest age, again the highest age. But of course we know from just very, very simple rational understanding of life itself, we don't jump from darkness to light. I mean, have you ever seen that now it's, you know, day and then suddenly it's night or do you see the day and the sun gradually shifting from one phase to the other. Do you see a child who was born suddenly become old? Or do you see him gradually growing and then declining? Do you see plants growing from a seed suddenly into a full-fledged banyan tree? Or do you see it gradually open itself up? So we have to realize that consciousness and any movement in this world is a gradual shift. Evolution. And our evolution is a gradual shift, which is why we do a great disservice to ourselves thinking that I meditation meditation and bus, you know, I should be realized, I should wake up suddenly already knowing everything. That's never going to happen. <laughs> Sorry to burst our bubbles, even though we would, you know, we desperately cling to that hope that suddenly I wake up from one deep meditation or from some moment and everything's going to be different. It's going to be a gradual, that is why, as Narayani was talking about, the simple thing of the moods and putting our willpower into it, that's what will create the shift. Not that one meditation that will redefine everything about us. And that is why every day we have to keep at it with our meditations because then yes, a point will come, that tipping point will come where now suddenly everything starts to feel different. In fact, how many lifetimes Yogananda said it takes from the level of being a mineral. rock, a <laughs> yeah. mineral to a human being, like eight, eight, million eight million lifetimes. I mean, it's a hard one to even judge mm. really because it's like, what's the lifetime of a rock? <laughs> you know, the lifetime of a rock itself can be millions of years. But essentially what we're talking about is evolution goes through every stage. It goes from the mineral stage to the plant stage to the animal stage to the human stage. And in that process, however, because as Yogananda said, every atom is endowed with an individual soul reality of the divine. So that includes the tiles that are right now on the floor, even though it's very hard for us to tune into kind of this tile will one day become another fellow human being. But of course, it doesn't take place in the way that our minds can comprehend but it does take place where souls move from stage to stage as their own self-awareness expands. So if I think of a rock, although we think of a rock as inanimate so therefore it has no sense but the only thing a sen the rock knows is that it is and that's all it senses. That's hard for us to comprehend how a rock would know that but it exists and as long as it exists it is aware of its existence. But then it moves into a plant and a plant's existence is much more dynamic. You know, it has more, a greater purpose. It's more aware of its purpose. It willingly offers itself to the sustenance of higher 
um, evolutionary stages. And of course, then when you enter the animal stage, the animals we know are a little bit more aware than perhaps plants are. Another great, at least, uh, encouragement from these rishis on why we should not have a heavily based non-vegetarian diet or if possible, a non-vegetarian diet at all is because of these stages of consciousness. Is because the more self-aware uh, a species gets, the more it is it experiences fear, anger, hatred, confusion, and all those aspects, which then naturally, in the process of uh, consuming them, we consume those animalistic, those lower tendencies, and we consume what that meat tends to hold. But that's for each of us to both experience in ourselves and gradually shift out when the time feels right for us. And then, of course, from the animal comes the human experience. And the human experience is, of course, so varied. And then Yogananda said, those five to eight million years that were seemingly automatic because there's not that much egoic free will in a rock, in the plant kingdom, in an animal kingdom, they run and function more from a very instinctual reality. But when you get to the human condition, or the human existence, when this free will kicks in, which is completely choice-based, mm -hmm. that process, Yogananda said, then can take as long <laughs> as you want it to take, or as short as you want it to take. Because now, you can turn away from that harmony. natural evolution, that natural harmony, or you can move towards it, and that choice rests entirely with us. Moment of pause. Moment of silence. These are our helicopter reminders. It's like the guru just moves up and <laughs> says, Shant ho jao thodi dev ke liye. My guru determined, as we were talking about, oh, we're already here. The Iron Age, which is the Kaliyug, is 1200 years in duration and it spans and is a span of materialism. We'll talk a little bit about that. And it ended about AD 1700. So according to Sri Yukteswar's calculations, actually let me back up a little bit. Remember we were talking about how the traditional understanding of these yugas is that it spans these huge cycles. And there's actual truth in the fact that there are these larger cycles at bay. So let's just understand how the yuga concept works. The concept of the yugas is based on the fact that from the center of the universe, in our particular case, that's the center of our galaxy, that's the closest central reality. From the center, just as from our own very center, emanates God's, you can say, most benign presence. It's like from this central reality was expanded outward the entire universe. And that's why when we're talking about meditation, when we talk about, you know, finding our own center, there's just this natural intuitive feeling that it's somewhere inside us lies the source of all our power. And so similarly, in all of creation, at the center of its being lies the source of all creation's power. And the closer we are to this source, physically, in a universal sense, the more natural upliftment um, comes as a direct result. And the farther we get away from the source, the more we go into a darkened state of consciousness. And the same is true as we talk about inside us. This source, our sun, is the source of the light at the point between the eyebrows. The closer our consciousness is to it, the more elevated we are, the more uplifted we are. And even if we remove all spiritual realities, we naturally feel joyful when there is a sense that energy is moving up. And when energy moves up, you know, we sit up more, we look up more, our, even our smile moves upward, and there's just this ah, sense of well-being. But when we are in that mood that Narayani was talking about, or when we are hurt, there's this natural sense, and with the very word we talk about, I feel low, I feel down, I'm in depression is a natural tendency that But that's the consciousness moving away from that center within us. And when it goes down, then it brings with it those darkened states. So when you're in a mood, 
It's like nobody can really get you out of the mood. You have to give it some time. Unless your own willpower is strong enough to bring you out. Mm-hmm. Even if somebody comes and tries to cheer you in a mood, it in fact upsets you more. <laughs> you get even more irritated by somebody's sunny disposition when you are not feeling that and experiencing that. So that's the reality taking place inside us. That's the reality taking place outside us. And so inside, we've got these same yugas, these same states of consciousness manifesting in this circular motion with the ira and the pingala as the ascending and descending arcs. And in the universe, it's taking place on several levels because the universal structure has so many levels. You've got the universe itself, which we can't even comprehend. That you've got different galaxies, you've got different clusters of galaxies, you've got different nebulous kind of regions, then you've got solar systems, so you've got these larger circles and then within them smaller, smaller, smaller circles. So what's most immediate to us is our solar system. Now everything in the universe has a dual reality, which means duality exists and that's the only way the universe can sustain itself. So the sun, our sun, also has a dual somewhere where right now astronomy has not really tuned into it but that sun revolves around its dual and with it the entire solar system moves as well and that's what creates the yugas so when say this is the galactic center when our solar system in its revolving around its dual gets closer towards the galactic center we experience these ascending yugas and when it's the absolute closest that's when we are in satyug and then again when it certain cycles back down when it's the farthest from the galactic center that's when we're in the darkest states of consciousness so this is happening on a solar system level this is happening on a galactic level this is happening on god only knows what other levels that i couldn't even comprehend but these are the cycles that most affect us now the four lakh whatever number that you do have for the Kali Yuga that does exist, that does in fact exist, is this much larger cycle that in a sense is not of immediate effect to us. What's the most immediately that affects us is our own solar system. That's why even astrology deals not with some star billions of light years away. The reason astrology was created with these nine planets is that Saturn, which is the last of these nine uh, these nine celestial bodies, they're not all planets, of course. You've got the moon, you've got the north and south nodes. Um, is that the is Saturn is the last planet we can see with our naked eye, and therefore it is the final state of what's affecting us in terms of the planetary condition. So our solar system has a great influence over us. Of course, the sun determines everything about our existence. Without the sun there would never be a planet Earth. And the same is for the moon. And we know inwardly, this is the sun and this is the moon. The sun is the pure light of spirit and the moon is the egoic reflection of spirit as each of us are those divine reflections of that one omnipresent God. And so all of that's affecting us internally as well as externally. So this 24,000 year cycle that Sri Yukteswar is talking about is that which affects us most immediately. And therefore we find ourselves currently in that cycle and in that smaller cycle, we've transitioned from Kaliyug into Dwapar, as Sri Yukteswar says, in the year 1700. That year, or that at least that century, ushered in Dwapara Yuga, a 2400 year period, which is where we are now, of electrical and atomic energy developments. The age of telegraph, radio, airplanes, and other space annihilators. So let's just look at Kalyug again for a moment. Here Yogananda says, Kalyug was all about materialism. Now what's materialism? It's not about uh, greed and I want a lot of money. That's not really what materialism means. Materialism means that which relates to matter. So Kaliyuga was all about matter, that only, only matter is real. You know, as what I can see, what I can touch, what is solid, that's only what this world is about. And so therefore it was all about form. So even if I look at spirituality and religion in Kaliyuga, it was all form based. The church, the temple, the person who has authority, 
you know was all ki ek form hona chahiye you can't get to god unless you come through this established institution if i looked at renunciation in the in kaliyug it was you had to either leave the world or you had to be in the world and you couldn't do both so renunciation in kaliyug was all about completely abandoning and turning your back to matter so that you could focus on spirit now since the 1700s what all has happened 1700 was you can say the turning point for all great scientific discoveries that's when suddenly we started realizing that a the earth is not the center of the universe that we in fact revolve around the sun we started realizing the concepts of gravity we started realizing the concepts of finer energy particles little by little by little we started doing things that took us beyond matter and form eventually einstein coming up with the the you know ground shattering truth that all matter is in fact only energy through his e equals mc square formula and from that came the atomic bomb which on one hand sounds like such a destructive reality but on the other hand what it really showed was that in one atom there's so much energy so much power that i could potentially destroy an entire city out of it and so it it really opened up human consciousness to to concepts that just a couple hundred years before were completely impossible to comprehend so you can see that shift and so when in kaliyuga was all about matter in dwapar is all about the way shri yukteswar said is about annihilating space that space as a physical condition so what are our space annihilators today what we're doing right now is a space annihilator you're not with us here in this space yet we are in your house our cell phones are space annihilators airplanes are space annihilators telegrams are i mean emails are space annihilators television is space annihilators and in it's, a sense meditation is also meditation is the greatest yeah. space annihilator of them all so everything about this age is about helping us realize we can go beyond form we can go beyond what are the most basic forces of nature which is tu wahan hai main yahan hu and ab tu wahan phasa hua hai aur main yahan phasa hu but now neither of us are stuck there i take out my phone suddenly i'm video calling somebody and i'm where my mother is and i'm where where my best friend is and i'm right there with them as close to as possible as i would have been with them physically so that's the power of dwapar yuga it's a space annihilating reality yogananda said as we move completely into dwapar into that absolute highest state we'll be able to be able to teleport ourselves at will so if you are excited about that, that possible future yeah. then all of us can be together in the ashram whenever we want <laughs> the 36 year period of treta yuga which will start in ad 4100 so thoda time hai abhi its age will be marked by common knowledge of telepathic communications and other time annihilators so space and time are these two kind of mm, what what we say minions of maya this reality that we are separate that's what space means right that we're separate ye mera space hai ye tera space hai and the twain shall not meet even if we're like touching each other we're still in two different spaces and the other thing is time is separate which means there's past there's present and there's future and nothing you know can change either of them they were always moving constantly through it but of course in treta yuga time will now start to become that illusion that we will overcome and as i said we're not there yet but if you've ever heard of this amazing um, nadi readings these book of brigus you know you've got agastya readings mm-hmm. that happen and these are places where i don't always recommend because you never know who you are going to but they're true and they're real swami ji in the 1950s first came across them when he was in india in patiala he had a reading from the book of brigu and in that book brigu who was a great saint and a self realized master in the treta yuga was able to tune in to the past and future lives of practically all souls and so if you go to a brigu reading or an agastya reading 
they'll tell you exactly who you were in your previous incarnation, who you will be in your future incarnation, and they'll just outline your entire life. It has nothing to do with the planets anymore. Minute details like who your parents are, what their names are, what job you do, whether you're married or not, whether you know at some point in the future something will happen or not. How and many languages? How you many will languages you will speak, speak? Where you will be born? And it's just, I mean, it's so, <laughs> even fascinating is not quite right the word because it goes beyond anything we can possibly even comprehend or imagine. Some guy sitting like, you know, thousands of years before us knows exactly that this is going to happen in your life. So that's the power that it becomes fairly like common understanding in such an age. Doesn't mean everybody will be able to do it, but the potential for such a thing will become like, huh, I could do it if I put my mind to it. And that's what Treta Yuga will be about. And then comes the 4800 years of Satyuk, the final age in an ascending arc. The intelligence of a man will be completely developed. He will work in harmony with the divine plan. And in Satyuk, at the age of enlightenment, the age of truth, finally man realizes his divine potential. Yogananda said in that those ages, the separation between the astral worlds and the physical world separation. You know how we read in our scriptures, the devtas would descend and they would talk to the devtas and then they, the devta would take somebody up in their chariot. Those are not just, you know, uh, beautiful metaphorical, allegorical stories alone. That communication will be very, very easy for human beings to have because the difference between the subtler realms, between higher realities and these, this lower plane of existence seems to start to disappear. And man just truly and naturally realizes his divine potential and aspires towards it. Then comes the descending arc of 12,000 12, years, starting with the descending Satyug or Golden Age of 4800 years then begins and little by little by little we return back into Kaliyug. So that's the cycle. Kaliyug to Dwapar to Treta to Satyug, Satyug to Treta to Dwapar to Kaliyug. And again and again, just like the seasons in a year, it just keeps continuing round and round and round and round. These cycles are the eternal rounds of Maya, the contrasts and relativities of the phenomenal universe. And that's what it shows. It's constantly, again, it's dual in every form. The darkest will always have the brightest. The brightest will always have the darkest. The intermediates will always exist as well. And that cycle will continue until man is able to extricate himself from these cycles. And again, this is another call to action for all of us. Okay, how long will we just keep cycling through? Just as how long will year after year just keep cycling through and each of us every new year you know we have this deep hope in our hearts that this should mean something i should do dif something different but for the majority of people it really doesn't happen does it it just becomes again spring goes into summer into fall into winter comes the next new year with again that hope in our hearts and it continues again and again and these cycles are just slightly larger than that but also continue very much in the same way until a soul himself or herself or itself decides bas i want to address the importance of how long this process is i mean sri uteshwar says here one by one by one escape escapes from this duality and we can't do it alone. And this is why it's so important that each one, of I, each one of us find a path, certain techniques, specific support and understanding that will help you to get out of Maya and the suffering that we are going through just because we don't know how the cycles work. Just, just because we don't know, no one has explained us, we just don't know even from where to begin. So 
I urge you very, very strongly, if you really want to make safe progress in your life, please pray to be guided to the right path, the right gurus and the right techniques. The beauty of God's love for each one of us is that He's sending in these uh, yugas specific group, groups of masters. And, and He makes sure that in each cycle, whether it's um, Tetra, Satya, you know, Dwapara Yuga, Kali Yuga, will have someone or something that will take us out from the delusion that we are just this body. So very, very, very important. Start praying for being guided to the right teacher, the right path that, that will help you and to explain you how to deal with this mess <laughs> that we are in. And I'm so grateful that for some of us we have um, you know, these souls like Babaji, Lahiri Mahashaya, Sri Yudeshwar, that, you know, they are giving us such a unique explanation and understanding of what it really takes and how we need to keep adjusting our understanding to the yugas we are in, in this particular um, stage of our evolution. I think we'll take a little kind of stop here for a moment. We have a few minutes, so let's just tune in a little bit about how the yugas really kind of mm. correspond to our present reality. It's not so important whether we understand what 12,000 and 24,000. In fact, in certain ways, it's just it's better not to get too caught up in it because uh, the spiritual path can be too intellectual and mental as is and we don't want to go there but it is important to know okay in this particular age which is where we are in Dwapar Yuga and it's obvious it's obvious it's different from a couple of hundred years ago so whether you want to call it Dwapar you want to call it Kaliyuk whatever you think and you feel comfortable with where your heart is at peace it doesn't really matter but to recognize that there's been a considerable shift in human consciousness and understanding that we do realize that this world is not what it seems. And that's what this E equals MC square really means. It's, it's proving the Rishis right. But the Rishis are talking about matter is only an illusion. And this is what science now tells us. Matter is only an illusion. And it's something that we're still not able to actually kind of work with. We're still stuck in this book, is this book, and this harmonium, is this harmonium. And no matter what I do or say, it's always going to be that way. But if you can just tune into the fact that just, you know, physical science alone now supports the, the truth that everything is not what it seems, that we, it should at least make us want to understand and experience what this creation truly is. It doesn't mean you have to have, you know, some deep insights into it all the time. But to always recognize, always to just have this, take a moment and say, wait a minute, you know, this, this thing that I have in my hand, this is just pure energy, just as my body is, just as the chair that I'm sitting on. And what if I were able that these energies actually interact with each other? <laughs> and this is the influence the universe has hmm. over us. Yogananda would talk a lot about energy and magnetism as the driving force of the universe. Because if, in fact, everything is energy, as at least intellectually we're able to accept, if not yet experientially, that means this energy is constantly interacting with all energy in the universe. And therefore, the energy that I hold, which is our life force, which is our prana, is greatly influencing the universe around me. Because the thing about energy is that it's, all, it's charged, right? Energy has negative and positive nodes to it. It has to have a certain charge for energy to be able to flow. And the moment a charge comes in and there's a flow of energy, a magnetic field is created around this energy. And so the entire universe is held together purely through magnetism. Even every atom 
every molecule, every tiny little particle in this universe is held together by a positive charge and a negative charge attracted to each other. How, are, how is water created? I mean, when we think of water, it's easy for you in your science books to say, yeah, water is just H2O. But what does that really mean? It means these hydrogen atoms and these oxygen atoms have magnetically been drawn to each other to create the illusion of water. I mean, if I were to just sit back, we don't think about our science classes this way. We think of them as extremely boring, H2SO4, CCO, H2O, CCO. But if I were to just think about the mere fact that the magnetic pull of these positive and negative charges on these atoms have come together, drawn to each other, that's what's holding them. These atoms are not held together by some ki rassi iske taraf. They're just drawn to each other. And when they come together, they create an entire new reality. And that's what we are. Our energy and our life force can magnetically draw whatever circumstance we want. And in fact, every circumstance in our life right now is a direct response to the magnetism that we hold inside us. And that's what this age is about. This age is about recognizing that energy, which is intention, which is thought, which is feeling more than just outward actions, words and position and look and how I, you know, how I present myself. Far more than that is what you experience inside you, the life force that you have, how much energy you have, where is it being directed. That's what's generating every circumstance in your life. And if that's the yogic path, is the learning how to gain control over this life force and then being able to direct it single-pointedly towards a clear goal in your life. And that means success, that means relationships, that means understanding, that means wisdom, and that means freedom. All of it is a direct response to this life force. And if nothing else, if that's the only thing you can tune into about this age, is about I have to work with my energy. I have to awaken that energy that's latent inside me. If that atom bomb can destroy, as Yogananda would pinch his skin like this in front of a crowd of thousands and he says, you don't know how much energy there is in you. In this little gram of flesh, there is enough energy to light the city of Chicago. That's where he was at that time. The city of Chicago for over a week. Can you imagine that? In this little gram of flesh, there's so much power. In the little gram of each of our, not just flesh, but of our understanding and of our consciousness, there is so much power. Yet, here we are constantly just battered around by life. So easily we give into mood. So easily we think of ourselves as tiny specks. Where we should be thinking of ourselves as you know, completely essential to the universal structure. We must become that pillar that Sri Yukteswar was talking about and stop being the parasite <laughs> that needs to cling on to this reality for its own existence. Just let go and hold this reality a little bit more as that power that you are. And that's yoga and that's meditation and that's the spiritual path. Everything else are just means and techniques to help you access that truth and that understanding. So, you know, use whatever you can from here. Get excited and fascinated by these cycles, but not at the expense of saying, what does that mean for me now and what am I going to do with this understanding? I think that is also just to add very briefly very, what, you, <laughs> what you just said that there is a specific consciousness that each cycle is inviting us to develop within us. And as you know, Kali Yuga was all about rigidity mm -hmm. and form, you know, a specific way of thinking and just hold on to that our opinions. Dwapara Yuga is a much more fluid energy. It's more flexible more adjusting uh, to new ways of doing things or seeing things or sharing things. There is an age where simplicity 
is being invited into our consciousness, into the clothes we wear, into the houses we live, into the diet that we use. So, so let's really study and think and meditate what this yoga, what kind of consciousness, what kind of attitudes we could start also implementing in our lifestyle, in our um, mental thought patterns. Uh, I am too rigid in my way of, you know, dealing with my own issues. Should I be a little bit more flexible in my approach to other people? Should I be more patient? Should I be more loving? And I'm overindulging in, in things that I have, even in your own recreation. Just choose lighter things to do. Um, use and, and choose wisely how you spend your free time and make sure that how you live your life is in tune with that Dwapara Yuga consciousness, which again is all about, I think, the second chakra, no? about that fluidity, that beauty, creativity manifest, but in a very uplifting way where, where there is harmony with, with nature, colors, the colors that we will choose to to invite in our life. Um, I think these are things we can start working with and aligning with things that are very, very simple. Go through your life, go through your own personality. What are the, the tendencies and, you know, thought patterns that need to be adjusted more to this new age we are in. All right, friends, as we promised, we will call this a close of chapter outwitting the stars. I think we can't, I don't think there's anything else we can say about the planets anymore and the sun and the moon. There are just. We have a squeezed already. Pages that we um, invite you to read on your own. They're beautiful pages. There's a one whole section, especially on uh, Sri Yukteswar's understanding and explanations on the Adam and Eve and the Genesis story, which is beautiful, but it's very self-explanatory. So just read through it. And next Saturday, we will um, read together, go through chapter 17, which is Shashi and the Three Sapphires. Again, we're back to somehow to astrological yeah, stones, yeah. but this will be a particularly new um, way to approach the same thoughts we've been working with.